Hello and welcome to Kid Coast episode 191, I think, maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I'm your host, Mike Epps, uh, a.k.a. Eating Bloodborne Crow, and with me as always. Uh, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie, commanded by Master Dave McBurney. And wondering what the hell that would even <laughs> taste like. Your man in Japan, Michael Baker, and Gaiji Minogatari, who has I mean, eaten many, gigantic many gigantic strange pie. things over the years, but still cannot imagine how bad that must taste. It would also be a gigantic pie, if we're being honest. I mean, like, there's probably not a lot of meat on a blackbird, but once you get to 24 of them, it's like, that's a lot. Yeah. Meat in the aggregate. Yeah, the, the think of one, one blackbird the size of twenty four blackbirds. Uh, I think that qualifies as a dinosaur, though. Um, so how are we doing? Good. I'm playing a lot of Bloodborne. Do we want to let Gaijin uh, discuss before we have you eat some crow? Yes. Okay. Oh, whoops! I just died. What shall we discuss? You didn't die, Wheels. Uh, just, like, what you've been up to, what you've been playing, that sort of thing. Oh, uh, well, my Switch controller finally came in. Woo-hoo. It just took about a week and about $20. Eh, worth it. I was going to say, including postage for the, the initial sending off, that's still less than half of what a new single controller would cost. So I'm like, yay! Okay. This is good. So just powering my way through Atelier Ryza 2 right now. Nice. How is that? As good as Atelier Ryza 1? (laughs) Yes, and made some market improvements over areas I thought the first one had issues with. Okay, good. I've got some friends that just finished Ryza 1 in preparation for Ryza 2, so they'll be happy. Oh, yeah. And some interesting design choices based on the fact that Ryza is supposed to actually be very experienced at this point and is just working her way back up to where she should be in a new town. Instead of mm. actually learning new stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So. <sighs> One day I'll play it, Adelaide. I promise. I swear I promise. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, most of what you've been up to? I mean, that and taking care of sick babies. Yeah, that'll, that'll eat a lot of time. Yeah. Between the taking care of and the mutual nap time, because you know what? If they're asleep, you're asleep. Yep. Listen, that's that's just a that's just a beautiful excuse. That's the upside. <laughs> uh, okay, now you can go forward, wheels. Okay, as I get murdered by nightmares. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Bloodborne. Uh, I finally, you know, I finally got it. <laughs> and you know that game you hate, Bloodborne. Yes, there were I were there were numerous things I figured out uh, that made the game bounce off me the first time. Uh, I'll try to go through them as quickly as I can because they're pretty boring. Uh, the first was I was not using the gun correctly for the most part. As I recall, my first time playing it, I was basically trying to use it like the shield in Dark Souls i.e. trying to perfectly parry things close up 
And the nice thing about the gun in Bloodborne, obviously, is because it's a gun. gun. So you can do that from far away. And then <laughs> since every character is pretty mobile in Bloodborne, you can then zoom in and get your visceral deck in and basically wreck things. And um, when I started wrecking giants that dis- absolutely destroyed me and I had all kinds of troubles with uh originally i was like okay i think i'm starting to get this so messed around with my old character some more couldn't beat the boss i was stuck at so uh while trying to bounce a child to sleep and messing around with bloodborne i started starting a new character using the axe and uh you know using that that idea and also kind of Another thing I recognized is I played very defensively my first time through, and that then like not just like trying to be too perfect and trying to get out of situations when I got hits or things like that, but just like any giant monster I saw, I tried to avoid because they all seemed like they could destroy you easily. And while yes, they can, um, they're also easy to kind of deal with when you give it a try like uh in the cathedral ward there's like these giant giants with axes but they're very slow yes they can kill you in like one to two hits but you can just zip around them and get some hits in and they're actually super easy so uh, those kinds of things in mind um kind of the early areas that gave me trouble my first time through uh i was in no trouble at all and in fact got to Father Gascoigne, a pretty infamous boss, pretty quickly. And although it was quite a sloppy boss fight, I beat him on my first try. And which was definitely the point where I realized, okay, <laughs> this is starting to click. Oh, I can be good at this. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, this, this, there's no like perfect finesse to this or anything like that. It's just a matter of this is a different game than Dark Souls. It's a different game than even like playing a dex build in Dark Souls. It's its own thing, and once you kind of get the hang of that, especially, uh, I think my first time through, I used the threaded cane and mostly had it in the whip mode because I'm like trying to play it like Castlevania. Uh, <laughs> whereas it's best to try and to to learn the uses for each mode of your weapon, and not <laughs> just stick to one. The reason they have two. Yeah, and also I just think I don't think the threaded cane works for kind of how I play. That's fair. Yeah, so like the axe and now Ludwig's holy blade, I think will work a lot better because I get like a the normal mode is like a quicker attack, and the secondary mode is like a two-handed like deal more damage type of mode where you're not <laughs> even using the gun. So that's that's definitely good against like bosses where. Some of them can't really be stunned, and you're not going to be using that gun anyway. You just, you just want that burst damage. Right, exactly. And right now, the other weapon I'm using is... Uh, what the hell is it called? It's the the electric thingy. Oh, that has like a weird name. Titanus or something? Something with a T. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look it up while you go forward. Yeah. Uh, Tenitrus, I think. Yes. So, yeah, kind of all that combined, the game really started to click with me, and 
Uh, playing it with headphones, I even appreciated the horror aspects a little more and also a little less. And it's something <laughs> I highly highly recommend and highly discourage at the same time. It's a very spooky game when you can let it get to you. Yes, like uh, walking down Old Yarnum, there's, there's like this one street where you'll just hear random screaming and I could not find the source of it. <laughs> It's very disconcerting. But yeah, uh, and there's there's uh, mild spoilers. There's a point in the game where you beat a boss, specifically the boss I said I was stuck at before, and you wake up and the city is full of giant monstrosities hanging off buildings now that you couldn't see previously, uh, which is freaking probably one of the coolest moments in games in general. <laughs> it, it, it was pretty rad even though I actually I, I knew it was coming even so it was just it was really cool means a lot when you see it in person yeah and also the there's a optional area that's basically like Castlevania that was really cool Castle Canehurst I think yes Cursed Castle Canehurst it was a little short I wish it was a little bit longer, but the boss fight at the end, which, yes, I, if you look at the YouTube video I put up, uh, I got some summoned help, and it was quite easy. <laughs> but it's a really, really cool boss fight. Like, it's not at all what I expected. Like, I had seen some pictures of the boss, and for some reason I thought, oh, this is just like another hunter guy uh, that uses uh -huh. guns. And so when I started fighting him and he's throwing like giant fireballs at, at me, I'm like, what the hell, <laughs> what the hell is this? And it, uh, it, it honestly felt like it definitely felt like a Castlevania boss fight, like either a death or a Dracula boss fight or some amalgamation of the two. It was really cool. Mm. So yeah, Bloodborne is really good. It's, um, Starting to play it again. I feel like it. Yeah, I feel it in my bones. Starting to get towards <laughs> the later stages of it now. So, um, yeah, it, it's got some hard bosses. I recommend, just like with Dark Souls, don't be afraid to use summoned help if you Unless need you're it. Me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. If you you don't want to do it, then just you know, beat your head against something for three hours. But maybe maybe don't feel like you yeah, have to because but, that's dumb. <laughs> I mean, I only really used it for a few bosses, and <laughs> and you know, it's they put it in the game. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some really hard bosses, but I think you know, I think like I what I, like I was talking about before, like how some of the regular enemies I just found intimidating, and then when I actually tried to fight them, found them quite easy. I think the same thing kind of rings true for the bosses. Like, you look at some of them, and it seems like, well, this is an impossible nightmare monstrosity. But then when you spend more time on it, it's like, oh, okay, this this is not quite as hard as I imagined. And the opposite happened, too, because that stupid spider was actually a lot harder than it seemed. How vacuous. Yes. But yeah, Bloodborne. I forget. I think Bloodborne has a patches. <laughs> Yes, it does. Patch is the fucking spider. Why did they make yeah, him a spider? Patch is a head on a spider. Yeah. Just, 
just very upsetting. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing I haven't tried yet is chalice, chalice, dungeons. chalice dungeons. I don't know if that's the thing I should even be doing, but I probably will at some point. So, I mean, at this point, yeah. I'm, I'm considering doing the the fighting the boss that gets you the true ending. Oh, man, that one's... <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I'll probably just roll credits and then consider doing that another time. But yeah, um, it looks like one of two white whales may be going down before the end of the year, so that's good. And then on to Dark Souls 3. You're still bad at it. Why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, Because I really, really, really love Souls games and their offshoots. And to bounce off two games from the creators kind of the only two games for a while to bounce off two of the games from like the creators of it just i don't know it like bothers me greatly so did you finish sekiro i did not finish sekiro but i do like sekiro so okay so you already know you like that one yes okay so i'm probably just gonna restart dark souls 3 again and just do just do a melee character and just <laughs> play it that way and then circle back around to trying to get through as a mage. Circle back around to your whiz biz. Yes. Maybe Bloodborne will have helped you a little bit. Maybe. But, I, I was yeah, thinking of uh, just doing a straight tank, not even worrying about parrying. Just, just a big boy who gets hit in the head. Exactly. Oh, you hit me. Okay, I'm going to do some damage to you now. Please name him Clarence Beef Tank. <laughs> Perfect. Anyone who does not know who know about Clarence Beef Tank, uh, please go look up uh, SB Nation's Breaking Madden articles because they're frankly incredible. Nice. Beef Tank was basically uh, the writer of that article putting all of the sliders in that game to either maximum or nothing. <laughs> I assigned... The, please, I'm, I'm just going to briefly go into this since we don't have a lot of questions anyway. Uh, I will quote, uh, quote this article. I assigned Beef Tank, all caps please, the following attributes. Highest possible ratings. Strength, speed, acceleration, carrying, throwing power, tracking, stiff arm, injury, stamina, toughness. He is indestructible. Trying to injure Beef Tank is like trying to puncture a cinder block. He runs like the roundest of freight trains. He is like Pac-Man. Only his maze is of the existential sort that funnels him through the cookies of football's pure heart. Uh, (laughs) Lowest possible ratings. Agility, awareness, elusiveness, vision, spin move, juke move, throw accuracy. Beef Tank is thoroughly disinterested in looting anyone or anything. He has no use for finesse. He wishes to find every last molecular structure on the planet and headbutt it until its electrons pop like bubble wrap. Who's <laughs> <laughs> hey, made for what game? This was, this was made in Madden, like, 2013. Madden? Yeah, okay. John, John Madden. But, yeah. Uh, so, you know, in honor, if you're going to make a tank, I, I urge you to name them Clarence Beef Tank in honor of the original Clarence Beef Tank. Done. Except I'm going to make it a girl and name her Cl- Claretta Beef Tank. <laughs> Claretta Beef Tank is also acceptable. 
all beef tanks are acceptable. But, yeah, so some, I'm glad you're enjoying Bloodborne, as I have spent years telling you that you were being wrong about it. <laughs> as, as I get wrecked in this level. <laughs> Next week. I, no, I've decided I hate it again. <laughs> Uh, no, no, if if it ever bothers me again, I'll just go back to uh, the cursed castle and be like, "Oh, right, this is oh wait, awesome. this is cool." Yeah, here's a here's a big castle, and I'm carrying a big wheel. I'm gonna fight a bunch of. You ghosts. should have unlocked Logarius's wheel by now. Where do you get it? Uh, I believe it's one of those things where you like get an emblem that lets you buy it. Uh, okay. Let's see, let me check to make sure. Purchased from the messengers uh, for thirteen thousand blood echoes after acquiring the wheel hunter badge. <laughs> okay, I have to acquire this. Okay, where is the wheel hunter badge? If it's um, somewhere easy, yeah. I'm gonna get it live on stream right now. Oh man, look at that beautiful see, icon. Let's see. Received from Alfred after giving him the unopened summons. Who the hell's Alfred? <laughs> Alfred Pennyworth? It's not not so much. Yeah. yeah, the unopened summons is something that can be found in Martyr Logarius's uh, throne room. Uh, I probably have this then. So where where in God's name is Alfred? Uh, the cathedral ward? Yeah. yeah. Another part of the building with the tomb entrance. That tells me nothing. Can be summoned outside the blood-starved beast fight. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know. All right, let's go. Let's see if I have the unopened summons. Anyway, we actually have somebody commenting on a previous episode, and if my touchpad will not this, um, somebody put an extra comment on the uh, Saga Frontier episode. Eight, yeah, eight, eight. from Crowguard. <laughs> Speaking of Crow, <laughs> so it's more of a comment than a question, but let's let's see if I can get the tone right here. Sheesh, after listening to a bit of this podcast and a few of your previous ones on the Saga Games with the sighs and the awkward laughs, I'm having a bit of a difficult time determining whether you like or despise the games. <laughs> we love them all, but we understand why many despise them. Yes. I was I was th- trying to think of a good allegory that deals with, you know, um, deep adult relationships where you know you love the person. <laughs> at the same time, you have to admit that they got some warts. Yeah. <laughs> The healthy appreciation. Yes. um, So a lot of the the deep sighs and awkward laughs have to do with the fact that a lot of the things we like about the games are things that we know other people, including fellow staff members, despise about the games. (laughs) And we're just kind of sharing the feeling. We understand, dudes. We understand. So, And we may argue with certain people or have our in the past of certain people over whether or not Final Fantasy Legend 3 even deserves to be in the same series. It does not. Yeah. The remake absolutely does. Yes. Final Fantasy Legend 3 doesn't, but Saga 3 on the DS does. Oh, massively. (laughs) 
And at the same time, we do we know or have known people who claim Legend 3 was their favorite one of the original Game Boy games. Mm-hmm. The only one they can play because it's more like a normal game. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Funny about that. So, but speaking of which, here is hoping that Square realizes that there is a financial incentive in bringing the DS games over on a Switch collection. Collection of Saga 2, please. Yes, please. We can dream. We can dream. Or make us buy them individually. Just take our money, please. Because mm-hmm. those were some mighty fine games. Uh, I should... and, and the other part of the awkward pauses and sighs is kind of just how we talk. Yeah, we're just yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, do not expect a high-tension podcast at any given time with us. No. no. If you want that... One of these days, I'll at least get a nicer microphone, but until then... If you want high-tension... Oh, yeah, gonna... microphone. Cool. If you yeah. want high-tension, we'll get Phil on, and we'll argue about Breath of the Wild and uh, oh, Lordy. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, let's yeah. not. <laughs> um, it's a silly idea. Didn't we do that last month or something? Um, we did. Or this month. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, thought I should just mention that since he did take the time to comment and bring yeah, up our absolute it. favorite series, <laughs> and we appreciate it. And hopefully next month I'll have uh, a bit of spare scratch to grab a copy of the collection of Saga. As is my sworn duty. Yeah. Uh, See, nobody has replied on Q and A quest. Um, the uh, number one eighty nine. Yeah, yeah. I, I suspect we're going to see a little less side traffic over the uh, over the coming week and over the past week. So I'm not that surprised. Over the end of yeah. this wretched year. Yeah. Uh twenty twenty part two. Um. No, we're already on part five, at least. Kind of, yeah. Oh, God, what was it? Somebody talked about something, like, coming out early this year, and it's just, like, wasn't that, like, two years ago? I was looking at this earlier. (laughs) I forget what it was. I was looking at this last night, and it nearly killed me. Uh, Let me pull some of these up. This is kind of our year-end cast, anyway, so this makes sense. did, um, Did Outer World Switch come out this year? Oh, absolutely, dude. Yeah. Oh, God, it feels like I played that game last year. Let me see. Outer Worlds. Yeah, that was uh, April. Okay, then. Uh, I need to pick up back my pick back up my Switch playthrough of that. No, excuse me. That was June. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to like quickly run down uh, what strikes me as interesting this year. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> this was the first one when I was looking last night that made me think that I was dying. Uh, Grand Blue Versus came out this year. That was uh, Arc System Works' uh, Grand Blue Fantasy fighting oh, that's game. That's right. I saw that at PAX, which I, I actually went I to this year. I swore that that game was like a mid last year game, so that nearly killed me. Yes, that's right, folks. I went to a convention this year. Yeah, you. It was like the last point where it was not like 
yes. you know, like, grotesquely irresponsible. And I, well, I it, a, in retrospect, I took a transcontinental vacation and barely managed to get back to Japan before they shut the borders down. Oh, jeez, y'all got y'all got in late. So uh, y'all got yeah, in that, right when the get that convention good. visit was not a good idea in retrospect. It, in retrospect, not a good idea. Thankfully, you didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, quote, well, like, well. And we mm-hmm. didn't really know that the virus was had already been here a while. So, yeah, it's one of those like, oh, well, thankfully it didn't destroy you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, oh Lord! Oh Lord! 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 Uh, Um, sorry, just, just sort of going down this. Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Feels like it might have been decades ago. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't realize we got Rune Factory 4 Special this year. Um, EO2, Animal Crossing New Horizons. That one I would remember just by virtue of it being kind of synonymous with early this year. But that's been a lot. Um... Panzer Dragoon remake. Uh, Persona 5 Royal. That one is one of those ones that's synonymous with my uh, starting quarantine and just being like, well, I've got too much time. Metal Magzino Reborn. Dear Lord, that was actually last summer. Oh, and that was after it was delayed like three times. Yes. I have a seven remake. That was nice. That was good. I should play that again. Uh, Yes, I remember that that was this year because that was something I did curbside pickup for. Yep, Trials (laughs) of Mana about three weeks later. Yeah. Streets of Rage 4. Wonderful 101 remastered. Oh, God. Um... And games were really helpful this year, huh? What games? All of them. Because there were a lot of oh, them. Oh, yeah. Video video games are how I have uh, kept myself uh, sane. I can't leave the house, so I guess I should just uh, play this video game where I can pretend that I'm in another world. Uh, I forgot that there was this PS4 version of East 4 and that it happened this year. Man, there are more Kingdom Hearts uh, mobile games than I realized. They all have wonderful That's, names. Sounds like a truism. Kingdom Hearts Dark Road apparently was a mobile game that I forgot about. Uh... And how many of them have some random bit in them that makes everything else make sense? Oh. Uh, usually they don't really make anything make sense so much as they just expound upon lore that wasn't that useful to begin with. Ah. Like Kingdom Hearts 3 has like bits where it's like, yeah, and and other ones have like, oh, there was a Keyblade War once, and then like if you really want to go back and get like backstory on really uh secondary characters, that's where it'll be nested. Let's see. Oh yeah, Mr. Driller Drill Land came out in English this year. What a good game. Let's see. Uh but yeah, it's, it's, it's just been it's been a long year. It's been a long year. Yeah. Uh, video games are my 
soul comfort at this stage. Um, uh, you know, uh, thankfully we're we're all as alive as we were when we started this year. So thank thank you, efforts of scientists who have probably worked ridiculous hours this year. Thanks, Doctor Science. Uh, let's see. I'm just going down this list of games and I'm running across things. It's like I was happier not remembering that that happened. So, uh, but yeah, uh, so you know, video games are uh, the thing that will keep us going through our difficult lives. Mm-hmm. So, uh,. Ugh. Is there anything we want to discuss, given that we don't have a lot of... Because we just have the last questions from Fireminer's list. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, I'm, like, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, what else should I play after this, and how much of random things should I actually go back into, and when should I do my annual replay of Saga 2 DS? Important. Yes, with all robots this time. <laughs> that's uh no at the very least that's nice and uh determined robot house <laughs> and i will be forced to <laughs> to lead a parade in their honor robot house oh, man. i'm actually in Saga Collection, Saga 2. I'm using a monster in Saga 2, which I don't think I've ever really done, because it's just a little too random at times. Yes, and I was traumatized after trying to do it a bunch of times in Saga 1. Yeah, just try doing it. Yeah, just try doing a whole monster team in that game. Don't. Don't. Seriously. But yeah, um, basically, do not feed your monster anything unless it is a full level higher than the what level that you're on right now. I learned that very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I'm, I would even hesitate to feed a baby worm meat from the very first boss unless you really feel like it. Well, I think at that <laughs> point I had already turned my, I forget what it was, into like a fly or something. So I needed to. <laughs> yeah. Don't feed it anything until... At least the first boss. You know. They can, staying hungry will keep it, uh, keep it motivated. Ain't tough staying hungry. Okay, I will stop that. Um. But yeah, um, but yeah, definitely feed it if you get meat from the rhino at the end of that area. And, uh, yep. Just kind of hang in there until you get to a spot where that has a re, um, a uh, not regenerating but repopulating um, more difficult a- monster like the Venus sewers, mm. and possibly save and reset for certain battles if you can't get meat off of them. Sounds good, although unfortunately there doesn't seem to be an easy reset option. It's kind of annoying. 
Save. Used to do that, used to do that a lot in the old games. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a lovely Cthulhu hanging off this building. God, they made these things so effing grotesque. All of them are sitting in a row. Uh, but yeah uh, oh you're not even on the Ask Wales page I hadn't actually checked the stream (laughs) yes I finally got things all set up so we can stream on the actual RP Gamer channel see now now you've hit the big time now we're playing with power are we yes Um, possibly we just grabbed a live wire or something (laughs) So, do we want to do any uh, year-end stuff to cap off how year? Probably um, should, assuming we're not going to bother trying to record anything next week. It, it seems like a bad choice, given our usual time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to be spending at least part of next week in a different section of the country. So, yeah. not too let's, far. Let's distant. not try to drag you to this. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, so we so, should probably finish the fire miners list eventually too. Yeah, let's do that. And then, then let's pick like each of our top three of the year, hmm. something like that. Top three, and then one game you played this year that you really liked that didn't come out this year. Hmm. Okay. So let's pause this here. Okay, so. We're on to the old questions that Fire Miner asked about six months ago and then put on the back burner for everything else. <laughs> okay. I just got old st- question I number. Step away for a minute so I'll let you guys work on this. Oh, oh, oh good, because this is a good one for Dave to start with here. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Old question two. Final Fantasy VIII did well in terms of sales numbers, but why haven't the setting, the characters, etc., received the same corporate attention as Final Fantasy VII or the Ivalis games? I feel like it has even less nostalgia among fans than Final Fantasies four and five. Uh, like I, I know FF eight fans that are very impassioned, but I mean, it was also a game that. I mean, it would be hard to say it set the world on fire even at the time. And you know, I, I remember a lot of excitement over the opening video when it was first. Yeah, the. The CG was like them kind of taking what they had learned from FF seven and sort of. Doing it better, yeah. Doing way more of it, way, well, way more impressive uh, for the time situation. But I mean, like, I think a lot of it is also just like a lot of people who would never, who had never played an FF game before, and would probably never play an FF game again, played FF Seven, mm-hmm. and like they might not have even loved everything about FF Seven, but they remembered FF Seven because like, it was the game, uh, yeah. And, like, FF8 was a game that was very popular, sold very well, but it was not FF7, and it's, you know, one of those things where, like, it also, it wasn't the face of fandom for nearly as long. Like, FF8 was, like, FF7 comes out, and it is the... Like infl- it's the thing that brings a ton of people into RPGs, and it uh, it's the focus of all new RPG fandom for like a year and a half, two years nearly. 
Like when FF8 comes out, it's been two years. There's like, and people are still having their FF7 debates, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, FF8 comes out, and by that point, like people that decided they still cared about RPGs have gotten into like a bazillion RPGs. Mm-hmm. PS1 is full of them. Uh, and the English language market is still like publishers are still super testing what they can bring out in the English like language market and what people will buy. Uh, so you know, uh, FF7 comes out to a much wider open market in terms of nothing else to steal its thunder, nothing else to uh, to drag the nation fandom into some other interest. Uh, and I guess also it's just like. FF8's story doesn't have as many, like, big moments, per se. Like, there's a lot of big set pieces. Yeah, but, but they, not... they, they, they took some interesting chances with the storytelling approach in 8, where they left a lot of stuff in the background for you to discover, and then didn't give you much impetus to find it. Yeah, and there, there's also just, like, the translation's a lot better than 7's, but it's still got issues, and it's also just... The yeah. things that are mysterious about Ape's story aren't as foregrounded as the things that are mysterious about Seven's story, so there's less yeah. people picking at it to try to work out what the hell is going on. And so a lot of the major plot points just seem completely out of left field, even if there are actually hints that something was about to happen, or yeah. along those lines. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, like... One of the things that works for FF7 is is that it has that, like, very mysterious plot for a very long period. But it also just has, like, scenes that... Scenes throughout the game that are very signature to it. And I mean, like, you know, cliche as it is, Aerith's death makes the game stick with people a lot more. There's not a scene that's really comparable to that in FF8. No. Like, there's a lot of weird scenes that are supposed to like uh, I think one of the things that's weird about 8 and that probably keeps it from having a certain stickiness is that the uh, a lot of the scenes that should be that feel like they should have a lot of discussion around them don't and that's why you get all of these weird all these people that do remember FH plot being like consternated by things like the orphanage plot twist and the entire concept of GFs destroying your working memory. Like, that's, that's kind of what part of the protests at the very beginning of the game were supposed to be about, but if you didn't yeah. really pay attention to what they were talking about... No. The game doesn't foreground it enough, so you don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they really should have spent more time with the school setting and with that structure in there. Yeah. That would have... I mean, okay. yeah, um, just if they had stuck with that that set of tropes, I think it would have worked out a little better. It would have given some ways to give more background information. And... Yeah. And I, and I would also bring up that I think that it's it's partly a problem just because the main characters don't care. Like, it, it's brought up and they barely register it and then they move on from it. And, like, mm-hmm. the fact that it should be a source of conflict for them is not really commented upon by the narrative. And so that, like, the one time that it kind of comes up is another s- section where it's like, it's weird that it took you so long to bring this up, 
which is just the bit about that leads up to that where Irvine's like, I can't shoot the evil sorceress because I think of her as my mom. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those, like, there's just a lot of scenes in that, like that that's like the things that would be that seven would have treated as huge are things that eight kind of brushes past in a yep. very strange fashion. It's, it's like, was in charge of the story on that game anyway because it just it seems like it had a very interesting and weird direction i think it still might be nojima but i'll check he's a he's like a, a writer i respect a lot but he's definitely a very hit and miss writer Let's see director katase Designer Ito, writer. Yeah, still Kazushige Nojima is the lead writer on it. Uh, I'm not sure if there's. I'll check the credits. Like in seven, at least Nojima was filling out a story pitch that someone else had made. I also know that Toriyama had a huge deal of input on the Midgar section. Which yeah, is how like it, it, it's so huge because it was supposed to be a lot shorter, but he. Um, he ended up coming up with stuff that got turned into the, like Sector 7 and the Honey Begin and other things. Yeah. Let's see. I have eight credits. Uh, let's look at the... Oh, Lordy, it's trying to take... Okay. The, these end credits are very long, so this would take me a while to scrub through, so give me a minute. Uh, here's something that seems to have actually put down the credits themselves, although they're in alphabetical order, so I'll look for, like, scenario concept and see what I get. Sub-character designer, synthesizer programmer, I'm getting into, some, getting into the weeds. Uh, yeah, I'm just seeing Nojima as scenario writer. That doesn't seem to have been, like, uh, a scenario conceptor that might have started it, so he seems to have been just sort of let loose in a way that he was not on FF7. And here we prove that sometimes the most important part of the writing team is the editor. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, like, the credited writer on Chrono Trigger is the same as the credited, like, the director slash scenarist on uh, Chrono Cross. But the first time he was working with an outline from Yuji Hori, and the second time he was just doing his own thing and... It produces I still a say very Chrono Cross move. feels more like somebody's fanfic. <laughs> it really does, right down to the weird timeline shenanigans and the intentional killing off of the entire original cast <laughs> off screen. Yeah, good, good times, good times. Yeah, but yeah, um, I was gonna, I was about to mention Chrono Trigger as an example of scenario editing done right. Because that, that game was very tightly designed. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Chrono Trigger is a game that... Uh, there was a dungeon cut because it didn't flow... It, it made the game slower. Snowy Mountain? <laughs> yeah, Singing Mountain, Snowy Mountain, something like that. It was Singing Mountain, yeah. I, I just remember because of the music. Yeah, which did show up on the soundtrack. Very nice sound. Um, very nice track on that one. But yeah... Um, then you've got things like some of the Saga games where they got cut down well below where they should have been because of space requirements. Yeah, that's the other kind of having to edit your game, which was more common at the time. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, I, I guess the main answers here are that 
Final Fantasy VIII didn't handle its story very well. It was a little muddled at times. And it took some creative liberties with the genre format that the diehard fans of the series had trouble accepting. Time compression. And the new fans of the series had trouble understanding. Yeah. Time compression. <sighs> Time compression, yeah. Oh, but no. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think talking about stuff like the elimination of treasure boxes, oh, yeah, the way that weapon upgrades worked, mm-hmm. the the entire triple triad thing, uh, the the way that experience levels were handled and the fact that everything else leveled up with you at the same time, which is, that game is still my, like, my leading example of how not to do balanced world leveling. So. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a very experimental game, but... I mean, I was going to say, no joke, but I remember that from in the day, somebody wrote into the orig- one of the old Q&A columns and talking about either himself or a guy that he knew who had leveled up to 40 before the Efreet fight in, <laughs> in Final Fantasy VIII, only to discover that since everything else levels up with you in the game, and, but you don't have any weapon upgrades yet, and you don't have a lot of spells or junctions available... You can't like ten beat times him. harder. You you <laughs> cannot beat Ifrit at level forty. <laughs> yes, it, it is liter- So this is literally a game that punishes uh, punishes you for grinding. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people like to say that the saga games do that, but no, no, no. Final Fantasy VIII did it worse. Mm-hmm. To so saga yeah. games just have a difficulty curve. To, to answer the other part of this question that uh, comes up, uh, the the other part of this question is that why it hasn't received the same corporate attention as FF7 and the Evil East games. And I think a lot of it is those games seem like they mean more to the people who made them. Mm. Yeah. Like, uh, like, Evil East is very much it's Matsuno's baby and there there was interest in like keeping it going because it was a setting that could be extended into multiple uh, games fairly easily right around the time they were trying to do that but like without Matsuno they kind of fell apart there was always like there if you want to uh, see what kind of bullets we dodged go look up the development of Fortress from Grimm a Swedish developer that was contracted to make an FF12 pseudo-sequel action RPG for the Xbox 360 and PS3. That, that uh, has been interesting. The pitch that they had was repeatedly... like Basically, the reason that this pitch did not end up being made into a game that was released is that they kept pitching things that Square was pushing back on, like, this doesn't look like Ivalice, this doesn't sound like Ivalice, this is a bad idea. Wait. Which is kind of weird because I, um, oh, I can't remember who it was, but there was this one guy who used to be on the forums, and I also have him had him connected on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And this was about eight years ago, I think. He took a he had a business trip to, to Sweden, mm-hmm. and he went through the um, the Vasa Museum, the old mm-hmm. warship that got dredged up and turned and preserved and turned into a museum. And several of the suits of armor in that museum looked like they were straight out of the judge's court. In Ivalice. I mean, exactly like it. It's more that they were like trying to change the setting to be very Scandinavian. Mm -hmm. There's there's a weird ass story that's like in the background of this. Like 
also going on that's like a direct sequel story to ff12 that's like about what happens to say ash and uh bosh after ff12 and it's like when i read that outline i was like this sounds bad okay see i've never actually played much of 12 so i don't know and don't care yeah (laughs) but yeah it, it was like one of those things where like the, the thing that kept Evil East games being made was both the period when FF12 came out and the fact that the people who worked on them cared a lot about those worlds. FF7 is clearly an important game to most of the people who worked on it, at least most of the people who still are at Square. <laughs> uh, like, it was... Uh, like, it was a game that had a lot of emotions poured into it over like three years Mm -hmm. uh, between uh, like obvious, like, you know, grieving going on in its, uh, in its plot. And uh, the fact that it was kind of the first, uh, the first or last major game uh, for a lot of people involved. So it, like, has that, and it was, of course, the first time that they had done a game that looked or, like, told its story that way. Like, it had a lot of firsts, so internally there's a lot of interest in it, in addition to the fact that externally there's a lot of interest in it. Yeah. And as the Saga series has proved in recent years, what really matters is that you have somebody on the inside batting for you. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, FF7 remake happened because... Kitase was the one who decided to put the to, to like put together a team to like put together a design document for it. Like that's because well he's a, he's one of the big bosses and he said that he wanted it to happen. And that's like after years and years of fans begging for it. I mean that's what caused it to happen is that Kitase uh, did it and like apparently part of the reason they did it was that if they waited too much longer, then the people who had worked on it in the first place would not be around for the remake. And that would be a loss of a lot of institutional knowledge. Yeah. So they uh, they shuffled they shuffled it around to make sure that it could happen, which is one of those things that like. Ultimately, that's what it'll do it. <laughs> yeah, you got any input on this, Wales? Why uh, FF8 is a forgotten child compared to 7 and Evil East and all that? Uh, it's a weird game. Very weird. Like, I know <laughs> Final Fantasy as a series jumps around all over the place, but I still feel like there hasn't been anything quite as mechanically weird as Final Fantasy VIII and just like the look and feel of it too just feels out of place too like I know it's it's going for kind of what Final Fantasy VII really wanted to go for but didn't at the time but doesn't fully manage it yeah remember how monsters come from the moon uh, uh, I do and how that was a complete non sequitur, which that should have been mentioned far earlier in the game. You either mention that way earlier or you don't bring it up. Yeah. You get to go to space. I remember reading somewhere that, like, I'm talking about the translation for it, 
that the translation, the English translation, actually made the made Squall seem more emo. Yeah, there's a Legends of Localization article that sort of goes into like the easiest point of this, which is that Squall doesn't say so. So Squall says whatever a lot All the time. in whatever. the version, and in the Japanese version, he he usually is saying a different phrase for which an acceptable translation could be whatever. But oftentimes, by by making them always say whatever, it makes it sound like he's always expressing the same sentiment. And that's <laughs> almost never the case. Yep. So that's on my list of potential um, localization fails. Yeah. Like, in general, like, the plot doesn't cease to make sense because of the localization. Like, things that don't make sense about the localization are generally things that don't make sense about the scenario. But, like, the the character nuance seems to have been lost there for what that's worth. I think it's worth quite a bit since he's the main line of the game and, and we like have to really care about it. The entire game is sort of filtered through him for good and ill. And sometimes I really wish that the squall is dead theory was true. Oh God. Did you ever hear about that one? <laughs> No, I well, don't think so. Google Squall is dead sometime. It's based on a, a... There was a glitch in one of the early print runs of the game where in the final cutscenes, where it's showing everybody's faces, it, it accidentally deletes Squall's face and left this gaping void. <laughs> and so the idea is... The idea behind this is that at that one point, like in the first disc where Squall gets a, an icicle through his chest, he actually dies. And the entire rest <laughs> oh, of the game that's right is the his final, final semi-conscious moments dreaming about how everything is going for him. Great, he's the hero. Everyone's going to be saved. Because if you note, everything that goes completely bonkers and gonzo with that game happens after that point. Uh, you done fucked up, Squall. Uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, I might look into that later. But yeah, it's... A, it's just kind of a it's it's a weird game and it didn't like we can we could talk for days about like what parts of it failed to connect with the audience as much a lot of it is not being the same like FF7 is a right time at the right time right game at the right time as much as it is like a superlative experience in and of itself like mm -hmm. it's just something that no other game could be even if it's of the same quality and yeah circumstance counts for a lot of what makes a legend i suppose yep okay anyway moving on i guess unless we we have anything else to add i think we're time good. compression we okay well that's not adding anything so we're moving <laughs> on yeah let's see okay and anyway, time compression was largely a throwback to Final Fantasy One. Anyway, anyway, so they loved doing that at the time, didn't they? It was a thing in anime and manga all the time too. Yeah. Oh, as a as a last note, I'll bring up in uh, it, to cap off this one. Uh, the end of the question is: I feel like it has even less nostalgia among fans than FF Four and Five. FF Four and Five are games you can finish in fifteen hours. Yeah. Um, which means that it's much easier to Five, go back really 15 hours. It took me a lot longer than that. Okay. It's not that, it's not that, you will, that you'll always finish it, but like if you know what to do, it's a much breezier game to replay than FF8. True. 
And Final Fantasy IV also had the cachet of being the type RPG for its generation. FF9 is basically a giant FF4 homage. Yeah. But I mean, no, if you look at like the entire RPG spectrum on Super Nintendo, yeah. a huge portion of it is it's either copying Dragon Quest or drop or copying Final Fantasy IV. One yeah. or the other for like 80% of the market. You you get two choices. Your it's Dragon Quest but or it's FF four but. Yeah, so that's why I said it's like the t- the type RPG. Just it yeah. is the defining RPG of its particular half of the Super Nintendo generation. Which is also something true of like FF seven and FF ten, which is also why those yep. two get heavy highlights. Yep. So, Final Fantasy five, I have no idea. Apparently, it's a, it's a huge fan favorite in Japan. Yeah. At least that's the story I always hear. It strikes me that it's having a lot of this, a lot of the same oddities as Final Fantasy VIII did in terms of plot and presentation and what the hell just happened. But it has way less plot, so it's easier. Yeah. What's the other thing I was going to say about it? Yeah, I remember once hearing uh, people... Uh, English speakers talking to Sakaguchi about how much they liked FF6 and him responding like, where were you when the game was new? This sold worse than five. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. That's oddity. Okay. Anyway, okay, so shall we move on then? Yeah, yeah. Okay, is there a limit to how evil, sadistic, greedy, etc. an RPG protagonist could be? Yes, because there's things I could imagine that I can't imagine a game in good taste offering the, you the option of doing. <laughs> Except they do have actual villainous-based RPGs. Um, oh, yeah, but, but there's still, still things still... that even those won't let you do. <laughs> True. Though, I mean, what was it with which Fallout was it where the de- developers had to do some major moral pondering when they realized that the playtesters were doing things like pickpocketing explosives onto children. Oh, yeah, because that was, like, the only way you could actually... You couldn't engage them in combat, so that was the only way to kill them. In fact, the people who were doing that... (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so, uh, anyway, to continue. As I was thinking about role-playing as the AI in I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream... Seriously, dude? Seriously? Okay, um... That's an an unsettling concept. (laughs) That is a very unsettling concept. Seriously, dude. Uh Uh-huh. I realize that if the game gives you the choice to be evil, it's usually detached and based on some in-universe justification, not because of your inherent sadism, greed, etc. How about a goodness stat like intelligence of Fallout that changes the choices if you score too low? I don't think that you can meaning... like This is one of those issues that like morality meters in RPGs have always had, which is like... It's not really how human morality works or is treated by humans, so it yeah. becomes like a problem. I mean, you have things like Acellus in Saga Frontier who has three different endings depending on whether or not she's fully human, half-human, or dominatrix vampire goddess of the Dark Realm. Yeah. But just, like, in general, uh, I think that a stat like that is is creating more problems than it solves, which is why they've kind of fallen out of favor. I mean, th- but... this is also why you have why a lot of people prefer to go with tabletop RPGs that let you actually do this. Yeah. More easily. Like, 
you you can do this in like a highly contextualized environment whereas like the impersonal context of a like video game means that there's certain things that like they just can't tailor the game to the desire to do this kind of set up without alienating like gigantic portions of the audience i mean that's probably part and, of why and or okay. getting themselves banned from the markets and half the planet yeah but i mean like that's probably part of why people had kind of a tepid response to tyranny was that it was like oh you can only be an asshole in this you're just a different kind of asshole yeah uh, or um quest for infamy which was a parody homage to the quest for glory series where <laughs> your main character is a magnificent bastard any which way you play him, he is a magnificent bastard from the beginning. So he's a very reluctant hero. And in fact, at one point, the only reason that he goes along with somebody else's plans to help save the kingdom is that he's being blackmailed, hmm. massively blackmailed to do it. <laughs> Actually, what was, how did the conversation go? Um, so he's talking with the sorceress who is like her character model looks like it came out of Playboy just about. Of course. And so he's like, what? Why should I? Why do you even think I would help you? And sorceress basically responds with, first, she's offering a buttload of money. Second, it's the only way he is ever going to have a chance with her. And third, she happens to have this nice wanted poster with his face on it from the next valley over, and she's going to show it to her friend the sheriff if he doesn't help. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like even. Uh, even. Yeah. Uh thinking about this in just in general like part of the reason that there's always some sort of like in-universe justification for that is that i i've seen this happen before uh where there is a fair section of players who get irritated if their choices aren't somehow justified by the game even though they're the ones that made them uh-huh. i remember uh, back when Mass Effect 2 came out, uh, spoilers for the end of that game, uh, you get a big option about whether to send a giant hunk of space Cthulhu to uh, a space terrorist organization. And they were, like, really upset when Mass I saw some people really upset when Mass Effect 3 came out that that was considered a bad thing. And it's like nothing about the person you were sending it to made them sound trustworthy. And I don't know why you were insisted on doing it. And the idea that the game needs to justify that for you is ridiculous to me. Or like another one, I remember when Undertale came out, uh, seeing people complain that the game didn't treat killing things as, as valid a uh, interaction as... Uh, befriending them in a game about how, you know, this kind of... that that acting like an RPG protagonist is murderous and sociopathic. Uh, the, the game didn't treat acting like an RPG protagonist as, as valid an interpretation. It was a very strange reaction, but there is a stripe of player who respond to that by complaining that the game didn't justify the choice they decided they wanted to make. Yep. Well, getting back to Saga for a moment, <laughs> I'm remembering that Romancing Saga 3 had a hidden stat called Greed. <laughs> and that by certain, um, by uh, 
committing certain acts or doing certain things or even just selling the wrong thing to the wrong person, you could raise this greed stat incrementally. And if you got to, got it too high, you would turn down specific quests. Or rather... Oh, that's very sucky. There was this one character, Ward, Wood, who um, you need to do his quest in order to access a major section of the game and get some really good items. Um, but if your greed stat is too high already, you will try to um, shake him down for money in order to get for your help and services, and he will just turn you down <laughs> because he doesn't like your attitude. Um, there's another, there's a tower later in the game that in order to get into it, you need to get some robes to sneak in, but the guy who's selling them is selling them for 10,000 gold apiece, or 10,000 gold for the set. And again, if your greed stat is too high, you're just like, oh, that's not worth it, and you just don't do the quest. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I do appreciate that each character starts with a different amount of greed. Yes, with the with the game's mercenary character starting with the highest amount, so you have to be careful. Yeah, he's apparently start. He apparently starts at such a high amount that if you do essentially anything, he'll be locked out of the great quests. Yeah, I did manage to do them with him. I just had to be really careful. Yeah, and do those early, as early as I could find them. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Okay, what else have we gotten here? So that's that's old question two, old question three. We did old yep. question four sometime in the past. Yep. Okay, here we go. Finally, let's see. Let's go back to this back up here. Finally, is the Switch's success really an um, really evidence for the demand for a portable gaming device? I feel like Sony made a blunder saying outright that they were moving out of the portable market so early. Then again, it makes sense when you fit it into Sony's recent pattern of behavior. Um, you guys have already said on the show about how Sony didn't try that hard to sell the PS4 instead to just let it coast along the Xbox One's early blunders. Yeah, I would I would also say that I don't think Sony has the temperament, cor like the corporate temperament to make a successful portable, and I think they've kind of showed that with the Vita. Yeah. Like, it did not do it right. Like, like, the Switch could only have worked because Nintendo was willing to go all in on it. Yeah. Like, Sony would never have made a PS5 that was a Switch comparable. Like, this is so, like the Switch had to be something that you could... Every game had to be compatible with just playing it in handheld. Like, that had to be a base-level expected feature. And uh, I don't, like, Sony's not going to do that, so they would be forced to make a separate handheld project again. And they're not going to try, like, especially given the way that they tend to launch handhelds along, like, within a year or so of launching a home console, uh, in the two, we'll pretend that the two they released are a form a pattern, but, like, you know. 2005 to 06, PSP to PS3, uh, like 2012 to 2013, Vita to PS4. So, like, presumably a Vita successor would have launched last year or something. At that time, they'd be very much trying to influence developers to, you should really be putting your money into PS5 games. Like, behind the scenes, it would very much be, 
just just make PS5 games. Those are the things you should be making. And so you just end up with the same thing that happened to the Vita. It would have been, here's the, like, shitty, like, handheld Assassin's Creed game that vaguely ties into Valhalla, but not importantly, because that would be a problem. Because then you would think that you needed to buy it. And we want you to buy it on the basis that it looks like Valhalla, but we don't want you to actually feel like you have to have played it. Which well, then, is, then they just released the HD update on the major consoles. <laughs> you know, five years later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, it's, you know, it's, it would just be that. It would be Call of Duty Black Ops Declassified, Resistance Burning Skies. Like, all of these, like... We 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 kind of we want it to look like we care, so we got the big names, but we don't we aren't willing to put all of our developers on this. Like and that that was inevitably like the the <laughs> the handheld division of Sony was always like this like forgotten child that was just like because you know Sony, Sony has tried to beef up its first-party development, but I mean, the success of a Sony console is very little on first-party development, and they aren't even going to put their best first parties on. They aren't going to put their best first parties on their handheld on the handheld, and they aren't going to fight to get third parties to work on the handheld. So you know, this they really just saved you a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't even say that anything they did with the PSP was the reason for the success of that system. It feels like it was all just monster, monster hunter. hunter. Yeah. Like the PSP didn't sell, like sold fine. Software didn't sell for it for a couple of years, and then like Monster Hunter became like a sort of word of mouth success, then became a big like world beater success. But that took like four years and it didn't have anything to do with what Sony was doing there. Just sort of happened because it was a surprise, like a surprise success as a game you could play with friends in Japan. In North America, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. And that's, that's just kind of. You know, the inevitable <laughs> end point. Uh, it's just every every everything you could say about like, well, it could work requires a Sony with a corporate philosophy that is essentially antithetical to Sony's current <laughs> corporate philosophy. So I think the for the for their and our sakes, they they were probably better off just throwing in the towel on portable development. Thankfully, Nintendo seems to be going fairly well in its way of doing things, at least. Yeah, I mean, the Switch has been the best-selling console in North America for two straight calendar years at this point, so they did fine. It did have a bit of an assist this year. It did, it did. But at the same time, theoretically, that should have helped should have helped all home consoles just by virtue of the fact that most people that a fair a larger portion than usual were stuck at home anyway. But, yes, but a larger or but the other consoles didn't necessarily have it friendly and or easily couch playable multiplayer. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a lot to do with the fact that other console manufacturers kind of abandoned that market, which is. 
Uh, uh, different none of them have Animal Crossing either. Yeah, I mean, Animal Crossing was, was a a golden game to be releasing right as a quarantine started. But yeah, uh, it's all about going outside and having fun. Going outside and in, in an idyllic world where you can make friends and don't have to. Or, and even though you have to pay rent and stuff, you don't actually have to worry about, you know. You don't even pay rent. He just like you. eventually you'll pay me back for this probably. Yeah. Oh my god, look at this beautiful weapon. It's beautiful. For all that beautiful bean footage. Um, let me see. Oh, okay, yeah, that's Lagarius's wheel. You found it. It's the wheel hunter. Um, also, that, that does take your health on some level, but yeah. It does? What? Uh, when you rev it up with the trick. Oh. Uh, Gotcha. Hmm. Anyway, continue. Uh, yeah, just it's one of those things. Like, I mean, Microsoft and Sony. It's hard to say didn't essentially uh, decide that that was not a market that they wanted to go into. Oh, hey, there's someone in the comments. It's Tam. Uh, oh, hey, Tam. <laughs> saying that uh, they love their Vita. Uh, my boss in the Navy loved his PSP and used to watch movies in the office with... That is a... That is a huh. 2007-ish statement, if ever I've heard one. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that was part of why the PSP was more successful than the Vita, was that, like, they did sell it on multimedia capability, but it turns out that Sony was not building a console that could be sustained on the kind of person that doesn't buy games for it, that like buys movies or more accurately gets movies, uh, like gets movies from other, some other source and puts them on a U uh, U S not USB, uh, memory stick. <laughs> uh. Because they kind of stopped selling UMD movies about a year in, but okay. That was a different issue there. I was uh, partially like stores didn't want to sell those because they uh, they were very easy to shoplift. Understandable. It's kind of kind of one of the reasons that they didn't super like stocking Betamax and uh, the brief attempt to sell uh, pre-recorded high eight movies or not high eight video eight the predecessor to high eight. Wow, you were getting just wrecked. Uh, yeah, I closed my eyes for a second there, and that was not good. Cool. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, was there anything else here? Okay, going, going, going. Okay, last one. P-S-S-S. I think he hasn't realized that you're supposed to it's make P -P -P more P's, not more S's. Post, post, post. Yeah. And so it's postscript, script, script. <laughs> so, it baffles me that we have not gotten a true ninja RPG. Licensed games don't count. Fair. <laughs> this is why Monster Hunter Rise is a first day buy for me. I hope we will get a Strider skin and his weapons in-game. That wouldn't surprise me. They just re-upped the Strider license for something or another. Yeah. So yeah, um, let's see. Ninja games. Let's see, there is... Um, Ninja Jajamaru that came out for Switch last, this past year. Oh, uh, was there a Jajamaru uh, RPG that came on Switch? Sure. 
no, the entire collection came out on Switch. Five games, which includes an RPG. RPG. Hmm? Which includes yep. at least one RPG. Two or three. That almost okay. got localized, I think. It had the uninspiringly uh, generic title of Taro's Quest. <laughs> uh, yep. And then there's the um, Tengai Makio games, which are just bizarre. Yeah, but those, the first one. <laughs> and um, at least the first one was very specifically a ninja game because the three main characters were Jiraiya, Tsunade, and Orochimaru. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very specific. Yeah. I mean, they're based off the same ninja novel, that, or technically, that Naruto was. Yeah, which is also why I think uh, I remember Far East of Eden 1, usually when its title gets romanized, it like. I've never been clear why so many places do this, but they romanized the title as uh, Tengai Makio Ziria, which makes it harder to tell what it's doing. I oh, no, it's, it's not Ziria, it's Ziraya. Yeah. No, yeah, th- I think this it's supposed is, to be Jiraiya, and I'm not sure oh, why they go with that romanization, oh, which is not a common one in most English sources. Oh, places. No, 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 th- this has everything to do with the fake meta story that they made up for the series. Mm. Where Red Company decided to make up a Victorian period folklorist using an, an like a, making an anagram of their initials, and <laughs> having him in like the literally like 1860s or something. Um, writing a book on the strange and far-off land of Jipangu based entirely on what people, what stories and information people have brought him just after the reopening of the country. Yeah. And so the entire game, the first game of the series, is supposed to be his reconstruction of an actual Japanese historical event <laughs> in actual Japan based on all this information that he has pieced together. Including, including his incredibly idiosyncratic spelling of the main character's name. Ah. So this is completely intentional. Why they, but it they does wrote make Jiraiya it even harder for Syria. The, yeah. yeah, it does make it even harder for uh, unfamiliar English speakers to piece together what's happening here. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, I just I remember seeing the map of of Jipangu in that game. I'm like. Wow, somebody just took a cookie cutter to Japan here. Uh, yeah. And which this is what makes Tengai Makio 4 so hilarious because they did the same thing to America. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. One day. Yes. One day I'll play that. But yeah. Um, but the reason why we don't have a lot of true ninja RPGs is partly because the RP Gestalt came out of Western traditions and the Tolkien-style fantasy was the exotic option for Japan for the longest time. And so ninjas, the inclusion of ninjas was usually to add a more homegrown element into a foreign adventure. Yeah. This is similar to the reasons why so many anime featured foreign protagonists at the beginning of the genre, of that medium. Yeah. So and, so, and this has evolved into the ninja usually being a strong supporting character in an otherwise... Um, racially nondescript cast. See also Suikoden. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Yuffie, but yeah. Yeah, also her, but like, I was thinking of just like, that's one of the things that shows up repeatedly in the Suikoden games, is that like, it'll be an otherwise like vaguely European fantasy, but then you'll get like a couple of ninjas and they'll be some of the strongest characters in the game. <laughs> yep. Or Edge in Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. Things like that. 
So, so something to show that there there is a fantasy Japan here. Yeah. And then there's also the other thing that traditionally, nin- I mean, the image of ninjas is guys who just do it alone. Or Yeah, they don't uh, fit party-based RPGs super well, yeah. unless you've got a big excuse. Yep. So um, they usually fit, like, one-player action games a lot better. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, counter-examples of any of this, and it's like, uh, I guess, uh, in Indo on the PS, on the Super Nintendo is kind of an RPG. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... That's that's all I can really think of for uh, proper RPGs uh, that don't have a license attached. Because I know there's like a like fifteen bad Naruto RPGs on the GBA and DS. Yeah, uh, at least. But let's see. Um, Ninja RPGs. Uh, there's. A- in Live Alive. I was gonna, yeah, li- Live Alive has got a bit of everything. Yeah. Which, uh, that, that one's, uh, uh, you know, there's there's one of everything in that, but I mean, there is a ninja section of it. It's it's a pretty cool section, like most of them. Uh, I mean, there's a kung fu section. Yeah, there's the there's both a ninja and a kung fu section. Uh, I think there's a there's a cowboy section as well. Yes, there is, but and it's based entirely on you preparing booby traps to kill as many of the um, gang members as possible before that get to the final battle. Yeah, there's like a pro wrestling section that that spoke to my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone just play uh, Live Alive. The game owns. I like that game strange enough that I honorarily think of it as like a saga cousin. It is certainly even though related. it has none of the hallmarks of it. It's just yeah. weird. <laughs> uh, seems to have been directed by uh, Takashi Tokita, who I believe was uh, one of the leads on FF4. So that's kind of fun. Nice. Yeah. And. Let's see, I'm going to have to finish up in a little bit here, but I'm going to end with a repeat of his first postscript here, where I have just had a wonderful afternoon with Princesses Don't Do Summer School by Michael Yarimizu. Plug. Uh, It was different from what I used to play with my group of friends, but I enjoyed the adventure nonetheless, and Princesses Bianca and Cassandrella are growing on me. So I hope you've continued to read the series since you wrote this about six months ago, because I would love to hear what you, what else you think of the series. Okay. There we uh, go. Yeah, I just. But I everyone else can also. Uh, everyone else can also purchase that series or read it on Kid Unlimited. And uh, hopefully, this podcast will be up by then. But I'm planning to do an author's birthday sale starting January 9th. Um, just because I can. I expect it will be up by the yep. night. So, yes, yeah, so, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, nine episodes plus at least one side story up for highly reduced price from January 9th through however long I can extend this, probably five days. <laughs> okay. 
and I should have the third paperback edition available by then. Yay. So, <sighs> yes, my, my proof bro. copy should be arriving within the next two days, so I can just really um, double-check everything one last time and go for it. But with that, to the best of our knowledge, we have finished every... Uh... <clears throat> we have uh, finished every one of Fireminer's questions, so balls in your court in the new year, Fireminer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many questions was this? Because let's see, we have three postscripts, four old questions, and 49... Damn. Oy, oy, oy. So yeah, so this is... About 50 53 or so. And I remember saying when he first posted these, it was like, thank you for providing us with content through the end of the year. I was not quite sh sure if we would last that long, but we did. <laughs> or if that we would finish it thank by you the again. end of the end. Yeah. Let's see. We talk our favorites yeah. of the year then? Briefly? Yeah, we should probably hit those briefly. Same. But, uh... Let Gaijin go first since they're the most time crunched. Yeah. Oh, favorite games this year. <laughs> what what did I play this year? Let's see. I mostly enjoyed the games I had this year, except for Xeno Reborn. And uh, uh, it's the brand, the grand no prize. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I mean, Hoshio Mirohito also gets the grand no prize, but that one is a no brainer. Um, yeah, no, you weren't gonna, expecting to enjoy that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to eventually do an impression on this, and it's going to have some very, very funny self-deprecating humor at the start, <sighs> along with the confession that there is a certain relief to going into a game knowing that it's already, or already knowing that it's a piece of crap. And You don't see, have to think as hard about it. It's like, yeah, oh, it's just garbage. <laughs> and just seeing how it goes from there. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, I, st I mean... I start. I don't know. Wait a minute. The first game I played for the Switch this year, the very my very first Switch game was actually Final Fantasy Adventure, courtesy of Wheels sending me the collection of mana in Japanese. You're welcome. Yeah. So that I mean that one's always a favorite. But the first game I bought for the series, the system, and the second one I played this year was Atelier Ryza. Awesome. And I'm playing Atelier Ryza two now. So you know what? Altogether, the Ryza series is good. Let's have it I really there. Should just see if I can wait for a sale on that one because they're never putting the entire Dusk Trilogy on sale. No, they're not. Oh, uh, sorry. That was an email there. Um, let's see what else have I played. So I played Alder's Blood, which was just depressing. Too depressing to be playing oh, in the, I remember the that. early pandemic. Um, yeah, that's the one where the tutorial includes a section like, and yes, this is the hill where you will eventually sacrifice your party members before they go insane and try to kill you. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Covenant of the Plume vibes there, except with less betrayal and more just sadness. <laughs> yeah, and see, and then there was also Bloodstained, again, courtesy of Wheels, which was fun, interesting. Oh, that game's great. I love that game. Yeah. Um, could have made a bit more sense at times, but hey, it was part of the charm. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. What else? Have, okay, there was Moon. Uh, I need to go back and finish that. Go for it, dude, because that game is ridiculously fun. Okay, uh, okay. I got fair time now. Redi it is ridiculous on several different levels. Um, um, let's see what else. Okay, played Work Work, a.k.a. Hero Land, which was also hilariously weird at times. Uh, I think Paws um, 
reviewed that one at the start of the year too. That sounds right. I remember reading that. I think it's the one where you're role playing as the tour guide at a hero at a um, hero's adventure themed theme park. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it is every bit as weird, crazy as it sounds. Um, what else? You, you notice I really don't like favorites questions. I just keep going on about stuff. Yeah, it's it's fine. Just things that stuck out to you. It's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I've got Hero Bank going on right now, which is fun in its own strange way. I've already discussed that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? Any? Okay. Uh, I mean, anything else I have not mentioned on recent podcasts? <laughs> that's the real quick. That's the real kicker. Yeah. I think that's about it for stuff I've I've played recently on major podcasts and have I'm willing to mention or admit to playing. Um, <laughs> there may be a few that I do not want to admit to playing. Let's see what we got on my desk desktop here. So of course, Dandy Dungeon. Of course, how do I forget Dandy Dungeon? I still need to. Uh, re- I need to finish writing the review for that. I put it's it really good. Because I'm looking for a specific screenshot and I can't find it, mm. which is an issue. And um, I mentioned this one the other week. Beckend um, has the prototype alpha on Steam. Mm-hmm. Check it out. It's got a really cool battle system. Hmm. Yeah. Look into that. Yeah. So um, I mean the. The creator was on Reddit like two, three weeks ago, just saying, yeah, that it was always his dream to do this. And he wanted to get feedback and let or see what people thought of it. And I'm just like, dude, this is this is more polished than a lot of made games I have played on Steam. (laughs) I get that this is this is just the opening section. And you may probably do not have much more than this. This is mainly your concept proof of concept section. Bravo, dude. Bravo. Finish you did a good it, job please. proving your concept. <laughs> Finish it, please. That and now that I have done all this, I'm going to critique the heck out of the writing in your prologue just because I can. <laughs> Listen, that's the feedback they need right here, right now. It's like, <laughs> not, not the voice acting, which you thought I was talking about at first. No, 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 because I had no problems with the voice acting, even the wonderful vocal fry on the movie announcer narrator. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just going to go off on the number of proper nouns used without context in the narration. You've got to be real careful about how many of those you put in the opening. Yeah, that's that's why I got to explain to him. is like, yeah, I, I understand that you want to present the image of a gr- larger world and everything, but if you present too many proper nouns with absolutely no way of telling what they mean without context, you're just going to make the, the gamer or the, the audience pause and like, wonder, did I... Do I even know what that means yet? So introduce through context. Have the people actually talking in the scenes introduce the words. With that's context. why a lot of that's why a lot of stories start with a protagonist that has no idea about the world they're in. <laughs> that's how Titus works so well as a protagonist in Final Fantasy X. Yeah, just anything that require that forces an explanation into the narrative. Yeah, that's also why you end up with so many cases of plot-induced amnesia. Yeah. Or just brain scrambling like uh, FF7. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're not quite sure if, if Cloud knows what exactly is going on. Yeah. Even when he does know. Yeah, so, you know. Just 
gotta gotta probably keep it to a couple of new proper nouns per conversation with some night some easy way to get hold of what the proper noun means <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i would like to say that tails is an awful offender here oh oftentimes like they'll just start like i remember i think it's abyss starts out with basically just like talking about phonons for like five minutes <laughs> Whatever, please, yeah. for the love of God. Or Final Fantasy XIII was pretty awful, too. Yeah. yeah, Type Zero is real bad about it, too. I've complained about that one like 15 times. Well, that game just sucks. Yeah, but I'm, I'm being specific here in that, yeah. like, it starts out with explaining the inner machinations of a war between, like, four different countries, none of which you have context for. Yes. What fun. Yeah, so that's uh, <laughs> video games were the highlight of the year for good now. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Oh yes, uh, Summer and Mara. I played that one too. Oh yeah. Which again, that's one that could have been better. Um, if I were to give it a review, it'd probably end up as a two point five, just because that's my kind of slightly disappointed score. But a it's, fond sort of two point five. <laughs> yeah, it's like you could have done so much more with this engine, with this world, with this plot. So many things. Not 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 even actually adding combat or anything. Just keeping it as a straight up exploration adventure. You still could have done so much more, or handled certain, things so differently. There's a certain kind of average review that hurts to give because it's like I want this to be more than it is. <laughs> yeah, that's why I reserve two point fives for my disappointed face. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I know other reviewers on the site do it differently, but for me, if I give a 2.5, it's a game that I really did like. I just cannot ignore the fact that it was also awful on some <laughs> aspect or another. So, you I mean, had Moxie, kid. It's a shame that's all you had. I mean, I've got like half of a fan novelization of this one game I gave a 2.5 to at one point. <laughs> just because I liked it so much, I started trying to explain what happened with the plot, and I found that I had to actually make up a lot of it to go. That is, uh, uh, this reminds me of something that I think I will leave as a question for us to contemplate for next time, just in case we need, we are in need of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your, what is your favorite three or three and a half game? Mm, that's a good one. Mm. Yeah. Just something to think about for next that episode. Is, that's actually more difficult than asking what my favorite two five <laughs> game was. Yeah, no. It's 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 a tough question, which is why I'm not I'm bringing it up now so that we can maybe do something about it next time. Yeah. Uh, I'll leave it in our uh, group chat so that we remember it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to go next? Sam says that they next? have answers already, and uh, to which I say. Uh, if you got, if you want to get on Q and A quest, you should you should absolutely ask us since we would. Yes. Uh, yeah. We are any any staffer is basically all always open to guests. So. Yes. Yes. Please. Uh, just yell at me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not even that hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, otherwise. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but okay. when I started posting was when I got home from work. Listen, we can make it work. We'll find a way. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Uh, Gaijin, how much more time you got? 
Oh, I need to pick up the girls in probably about 15 minutes or okay. leave 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. Okay. Depends on how by how much this particular clock I'm looking at is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something it's, I would work out sooner than later. <laughs> oh no no my, my wife intentionally keeps several of the clocks on the wrong time, um, mm-hmm. so that she is motivated to get ready faster in the morning. Oh yeah yeah my mom was like that. Uh, but yeah, um, wheels. You you proposed this. What yes. are your uh, what are your calls? Uh, Final Fantasy VII remake. Spoilers. That's on my list too. Yes. <laughs> uh, not one I necessarily expected to be there. I think a lot of people <laughs> were kind of expecting a train wreck. And, Except for me, I held out. Yeah, and well, I mean, once I started seeing the gameplay, I was like, "Okay, this looks awesome," and yeah, I think they nailed it. Um, uh, it's like it, it's hard to capture the mood of something that's had so much built up around it. Like they were yeah. threading quite a needle to do it. Well, <laughs> they, I think they perfectly captured in like action RPG form the turn-based combat of the original like they they've really got everything players were expecting and hoping for in there and yet it's a fully featured and very very good action rpg which is it's it, it's an amazing feat <laughs> to to like thread that that needle because i think when a lot of people saw they're making an action rpg you know I'm sure. What have you done to my beloved game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people wanted just just give me the same thing, but pretty, and you know, almost as many people who decried the apparent diminution of their waifu, um, the Kantuga. Uh-huh. So that was a stupid argument there. Yeah, that was a very dumb argument, and then they ended up releasing a canonical bust measurement anyway. Yes. <sighs> I mean, I, I never doubted that they would do a mechanical bus mo- measurement because that's the way Japanese fandom is. Yeah, like databooks just, just going to have that info. <laughs> it's just the the assumption that she would strongly resemble her polygon count from the original game. It's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> Same people who were protesting Lara Croft's um, reproportioning. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, Moving on, though. Yes. Uh, but yes. yes. Okay. I want to think about those yes. People. They they really hit it out of the park. They did some cool things with the story, and um, they made a lot of kind of uninteresting side characters, uh, characters that you didn't want to die because they did in the original. <laughs> and you desperately like, like oh, desperately didn't I want can't them to take die. this idea anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like what was originally kind of a throwaway section in the first game, where like you know somebody avalanche dies, and honestly, I forgot about a lot of the details of that. It becomes like this giant chapter that you know is coming and don't want any part of. <laughs> and yeah, and the voice acting is amazing. Just uh. And eventually, I will have a machine of one type or another capable of playing this game, and then I will enjoy it. For I what hope it is. so, because yeah, it, and, it's it's great. And perhaps by that time, they will have finished the entire game. Yeah, 
I will uh, say that I think that uh, remake does a good job of feeling like a complete game, even though it's obviously not the right. full story. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. On the uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth at that announcement. Yeah, it wow. it turns that whole section into a, a complete experience, a, a real dramatic arc. Yeah, but uh, and really that that whole section feels pretty separate from the rest of the original game anyway. So it, it works. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, they did I'll, I'll have more to say when we get to my turn, uh, my yeah. turn, because uh, I've got my own, uh, beautiful <laughs> kind words to say about it. Let's remake. see what else, but, uh, Hades, which I have talked about endlessly on the show. Still need to pick that up. I've so, heard nothing but good. Things. I'm not going to go too much too deep into that other than say um, I was bored of Greek related stuff before I played it and afterwards it made me want to play more <laughs> it was just that good and uh, the way it it took the whole like roguelike experience and used it as a way to tell its narrative was uh, fantastic the voice acting and story were fantastic. The combat was uh, incredible. It's uh, it's one of the best, not just one of the best, probably the best roguelike I've ever played. It's probably one of the best indie games I've ever seen. It's it's amazing. So play Hades, and uh, for a third pick. Um, uh, I'd have to go with Yakuza, like a dragon. Uh, Dang, two of our choices are <laughs> shared. <laughs> but this this was the, I mean, I kind of expected this one. We talked a lot about it before released, just based on how it looked. It, it just seemed like this is a game for me. And thankfully that turned out to be the case. And um, I, I think having an English dub was really kind of kind of what I needed to really get me into the series, get me f finally playing a game more than first taste a few hours. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see a big budget turn-based RPG like this. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun and a lot of people seem to be enjoying it. So uh, I don't think it's the last we've seen of this sort of game. Yeah, the uh, protect the guy who voiced uh, Ichiban just gave an interview uh, talking about how uh, Nagoshi had just essentially like had spoken to him saying like you're going to be the lead on a on a number of games for like the next decade, <laughs> uh, and I would suspect that that would also indicate that they're perfectly fine with the reaction to the game itself. That's good. Uh, so. And they they do a really really good job of building up his character before they even like get into the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. Like the the whole I'm I'm sure some people complain about the slowness of the intro to that game, but I really think it's necessary to to build up the storyline and it makes everything else. You work. need that place setting for things to have impact. Yeah. Oh such a good game. And George, George Takai is great in it also. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to when he shows up again in the game at some point. Yeah, uh, that'll probably be pretty pivotal when it happens. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Sega 
doing good work. And any game you played for the first time in 2020? Um, trying to think. I feel like uh, Outer Worlds almost counts because I played this. This I you know played like this, a minute of it. Yeah, I know the <laughs> Switch version came out. This technically came out this year, but I'm I'd still say like that's a game that came out last year, and that I yeah. te- technically uh, okay. owned last year thanks to Game Pass. So I, I would put that up there, and that was. Uh, a game I breezed through really quick just because the story is fantastic. It's a lot more diverse than I've seen in a lot of RPGs and just very well written. And it was a lot, hell of a lot of fun. And I, I want to see more, you know, quote, quote unquote, post, post-apocalyptic or futuristic RPGs, whatever, that aren't post-nuclear bombs. I'm really sick of Fallout. <laughs> essentially yeah and i i, I yeah. brought this up when that game came out but i think the best take i saw on fallout was just that it calls to a vision of the future that doesn't exist for people now and yeah. outer world is kind of producing that same idea but with a future that people can actually like this generation has can see and think of and imagine yeah and i know it, a lot of people are saying oh well ups- City and Bethesda are now Microsoft. Let's see New Vegas 2, to which I'm like screaming internally, like, no, just give them more budget for Outer Worlds 2. Screw fall. <laughs> oh. So, talking about, talking about the Outer Worlds, do you know a, um, a YouTube performer called Stupendari- oh, Stupendium? Don't think I do. I don't think I've heard of that one. Well, he's this, oh, it's this British guy who does various raps and things based on different games and with some incredible incredibly animated videos and he's got one for the outer worlds called the fine print <laughs> and I can see where um, this is going this <laughs> and it yeah i without having played the game i'm like okay this is the most extreme post-capitalist dystopia i could ever imagine yep that sounds <laughs> yep, like outer worlds is, but, but yes, that is the game DM, just, just check out all of his videos he's got some ridiculous ones for games that you wouldn't even think to do songs about and they all work in bizarre, fascinating ways. So, I'll okay. Have a look. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. It really that one really does kind of hammer in the fact that this is not supposed to be a happy place. Oh yeah, no. uh, it's not a great future. It's not the future yeah. we wanted, but it's the future no. we're going to get. No. Oh, Make sure we've got flying cars, but you need to literally sell half your body to afford it. Mm. Yep. No, Tim in chat said he knows a coworker that hates roguelites, and that even they love Hades. Hades. Yeah. There we go. So. But yeah, if you want to try a really different roguelike, go for Dandy Dungeon. Yeah, was... I need to play that. I would one. almost call that more of a puzzle game, but yeah. No, I mean, technically, it is a roguelike. It's a puzzle yeah. roguelike, yeah. but yeah. But yeah, no, like, it, it even cracked my armor. Like, I like it even though I hate roguelikes, so. Yeah. If either of you can find a copy of, or a screenshot of the one bit at the beginning where he says, I shall, I will channel this suck into video game. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I mean, I have found the scene on YouTube videos. However, I can't manage to get a screenshot without the, uh, with it paused, without the bar at the bottom blocking out most of the text. Yeah, I could try downloading the YouTube video and then taking a screenshot from there if you want. 
I have no idea how much work that would entail, and I would uh, probably not more than about five minutes. <laughs> Go for it, please. Okay. Uh, I'll, it's, uh, it's just the, I'm I've been searching for the perfect screenshots to include in this review, and that's one that I need. Yeah, just drop me a timestamp, and I'll find restart it. Restart the game. Yeah, no just way. drop me a timestamp, and I'll pull it out for you. Okay. We'll uh, do uh, probably later tonight, because uh, like I said, I need to actually yeah. finish dinner here. Yeah, don't worry about it. But yeah. Um, Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds. Excellent yeah. game, excellent game. Uh, I kind of want to pull it back up on Switch. Uh, my playthrough stalled out partway through, but I'm excited to pick it back up. And from what I've heard, it actually has gotten like a ton of patches that yeah. have heavily improved its switch performance so. yeah it got some sort of graphical patch not too long ago and the dlc should be coming out for it sometime oh. i think early next year oh i was i was concerned that they just weren't going to bother with the dlc oh no they so you no know, they announced right away that it was coming to all platforms nice nice yeah double check to see if it actually came out on switch in japan because i know it was announced i have no idea when it actually did so. Yeah, I mean, we we were I was surprised. Uh, I think we both were that like they ultimately decided to put it on cartridge in the yeah. In the West. So. Hmm. Oh yeah, both both pieces of DLC are apparently supposed to make it there. So nice. That's very exciting. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess as for my part, part bringing up the rear. Uh, uh, FF7 remake is also on my list, and I, I will rhapsodize about a slightly different thing. Uh, the art design of the city of Midgar is incredible, and like that's always been the case. That's one of the reasons that it's such an iconic area, is that it's such it projects so much mood so so completely and so quickly. But the remake really understands what's effective about Midgar's art design the, and like uh, what Liebrich needs set. to be expanded. Huh? The Fritz Liebrich, um aesthetic. Yeah, very Fritz Liebrich aesthetic, but also just like in terms of how every part of it is a different kind of tragic. So like, and that extends to the new parts that they added. Like, uh, so you have, like, the slums that are, uh, you know, obviously just barely, like, like barely protected wastelands that, like, the, the corporation, you know, obviously doesn't give a shit about. I, I got but, the name Fritz Lang. Fritz yeah, Lieber Fritz Lang. Was, that makes more sense. Fritz, Fritz Lieber was Faffer and the Gray Mauser. <laughs> I was, I was trusting you, but thank you for... Completely the wrong aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Fritz Lang Metropolis is definitely a uh, huge influence here. But uh, sorry, I just oh, you're walked, having a great time here. I just uh, walked into a room of spiders and Bloodborne. We also decided to oh, hate the game again. Uh, yeah. Oh, you uh, know what happens uh, later. Uh, 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 but yeah. Uh, the the new sections introduce a different kind of like quiet tragedy, uh, 
where you know the the upper plate is you know of course much nicer but then you still end up seeing these like truly uh like the the you know suffering that is you know just under the surface that's still there because i mean these are still expendable drones to the corporation like jesse's family yeah jesse's family is incredible like so much so much is like quickly and cleanly done in that like one 10 minute scene uh but uh oh man i just i I loved it but the other thing i was going to say was uh that it doesn't uh it doesn't spend the entire game foregrounding uh the concept of being a remake but it is a game that is entirely cognizant of its status as a remake of a beloved uh of a beloved work and what that means and what it means for the fans and what it means for the creators working on it uh in a way that i thought was very uh brave and very interesting uh so i just i just wanted to bring up those things that i think are uh, both very important to why i loved it as much as i did uh, um, let's see uh as you mentioned uh as, as i mentioned when you mentioned it like a dragon uh absolutely incredible uh i obviously approached it from a slightly different direction <laughs> uh for me it was uh it was essentially it just had to sell me on the idea that the uh new version of the game could still be interesting uh that they that the com the new uh combat and party structure was something that they were uh, equipped to deal with and uh, uh sorry sorry <laughs> as we've mentioned as i've mentioned before one of the things that i think really stands out is that it it leads me to it feels so comfortable in that skin that it leads me to wonder, was there always supposed to be AI companionship, even if it wasn't turn-based just because of how much that, uh, the new protagonist is much more built around camaraderie and the writing is so strong on so many of these characters. Wow. You just got wrecked. That's a lot of spiders. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it has a very, uh, personable, easy way of delivering dialogue that makes it very fun to just every everything that like you know I always seek out sub stories because they're where the weirdest parts of Yakuza always happen. But uh, like seeing uh, when party members join in for like random around the city dialogues or seeing when or, or like trying to make sure to unlock all of their drink links because i want to see where those silly stories are going like it just you know it's a reminder of how strong and links drink drink links links. yep yes not s links but drink links okay it's beautiful you can only have them at the bar so they're drink links but uh it's uh it's you know it, it shows what a strong uh voice and character writing that the series and especially this game actually have so big fan uh knew i would be and i don't i feel bad that this is what's coming to mind for a third because like those two were easy to pull out and then i ran into like what's my number three and i feel bad 
bring this up because it's an expanded release of prior game, but Persona 5 Royal <laughs> is in, like, I, I think that it does a great job of expanding on the original game and adding content that, like, yes, game's super long and somehow even longer now, but <laughs> I feel like all of the content that it adds is actually adding something that is worth discussing about the original story. So, yeah. uh, I have Speaking another game that I wish would come out for switch eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Atlas, how about that? Yeah. Uh, preaching to the choir. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just found out the news for outer worlds. <sighs> and how is that? Spider. It was supposed to be released on March 6th, and it got postponed indefinitely due to Corona, and it has not come out yet. Oh, that's a shame. Like, it, it got postponed. It was originally, I guess it was supposed to be a worldwide release at the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should get uh, Wheels to help you out here, but uh, yeah, uh, I guess when they postponed it in Japan, like, the thought process was that the that that kind of game is on less easy footing in Japan, so they weren't sure what to do with it. Oh, it's supposedly confirmed for June 5th as well. That's um, when it came out in the US. Here, but then I'm looking at Wikipedia, and it's saying Switch still um, it's announced but not happened yet. That's so weird. Um. Let me double check the Wikipedia in Japanese again. Yeah, that might be worthwhile. No, because it says here, let's see, Nintendo Switch den rerismo yote sare teori virtuos ga iten. Okay. Um, it says that there was a release scheduled for it. However, they have moved it. So it's still just slowly, uh, they, they won't say they've killed it, but they won't say much more than that sounds like and then on the sidebar where it usually gives the information like this it says like okay release date for xbox one playstation 4 windows october 25th 2019 windows steam october 23rd 2020 um nothing for steam on the japanese page huh huh so yes um it looks like it has Looks like um, that June 5th release was, in fact, a misreport for uh, Nintendo Japan website. Yeah, that's where it was. Or that's when it Japanese came out. Nintendo.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, frustrating. Yeah. So, Persona 5 Royal for me on that. And what, what would be my last one? Um. Uh, hmm. Like I, I've played a lot of newer things uh, this year. Uh, I suppose Dandy Dungeon technically came out last year, <laughs> or a year before. I can't remember. So, at some point, it came out at some point. Yeah, I don't think it was this year. Is my th- thing. It was. At, I mean, for smartphones, it came out like three years ago. Sure, Dandy Dungeon counts, then. 
I played the Switch version, which probably came out much closer to now. But yeah, that was that was one that I spent uh, that I spent and still on occasion spend a fair bit of time with. So and of course keeping it to RPGs. Uh, I guess uh, otherwise, I think we're just about done. Unless anyone has any uh, New Year's RPG resolutions. No more spiders, please. Why with the spiders? That's not that's not a resolution. I don't care. <laughs> well, spiders are banned. You heard it here first. Uh, oh yes, shortcut unlocked. Yes. Have confidence. Uh, um, most of my New Year's resolutions are writing related and not games related. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. That's probably healthier than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I have non-games related ones, but I also have games related ones. Uh, uh, mine is just to finish Dragon Quest Eleven finally. Yeah, damn well better. Yeah. Oh, there's um, another one I need to try at some point. Yes. Oh man, I'm shocked that you haven't yet. Well, there's just so many things and so little time, and yeah. And to be honest, I know that that's going to be a massive time sink. But it is a hell of a switch port, so. Yes, it is. <laughs> so. Plus, I, I keep picking up new games from Severin's um, review code list. <laughs> so I, I've been I've been trying not to um, recently <laughs> since my, I didn't know when my Switch controller was going to be working again. Um, I mean, but that's now, how I did Batmarian. I mean, I would. Oh, there is another game I played this year, Batmarian, which was again oh, yeah. fun and got some good laughs out of the developers on Twitch for, uh, on Twitter for that one. Nice. It's like, yeah, when you when you start complaining about a particular room causing you grief in the game and the developers are like, Oh, was it this one? I'm like, yes. And they're like, Ooh, it was that room. <laughs> it's always that one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well I feel a little better now knowing that apparently this is a common grievance among everyone who has played this game. And it's not just me. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, the part in the review where it says sometimes you just have to hit the switch, run like hell, and scream Leroy Jenkins at the top of your voice as you leap through and somehow survive whatever death whatever death trap you've just leapt into. That room <laughs> is the entire reason for that sentence. That makes sense. Yes. Because uh, I we'll... still do not know how I managed to survive that because it was near pixel perfect. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I need to get going. Okay. So. See okay. ya. I've got curry ready ya. for the girls, and they should be enjoying <sighs> it. Yes, it's uh, a, it's a cold, wet, rainy day, so that's what they get. That is the ideal curry time. Yeah. Ooh, I'm hungry now too. Okay. Anyway, catch you guys later. I've already plugged my, plugged the series, but one more time: Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, Michael Yarimizu. Uh, Janu starting January 9th, there is the author's birthday sale going on. Please check it out. Okay. Get y'all later. See ya. Uh, See ya. Well, Wheels' resolution is just no more spiders, apparently. No, no, Dragon Quest Eleven. That's the real one. Oh, Dragon Quest Eleven. That makes yes. sense. Uh, and I will conclude on mine, which is beat every Kingsfield. <laughs> huh? How many of those are there? Four? Four? Uh, four or six, depending upon what you're counting. Are you going to include the weird PSP games that I think? Are no, additional nice? doesn't count. Okay. Because those are wizardry clones, which is different. Oh, no, no. What? No, those don't count, ever. 
But yeah, uh, I, I was referring in the four or six count. I was referring to Kingsfield one through three for the PS one, Shadow Tower for the PS one, uh, Ancient City for PS two, and Shadow Tower Abyss for PS two. Mm. And like, we'll we'll see if I end up actually getting through all of them. But I want to play through at least a couple of them to try to get a better feel for confused, perhaps uh, regrettable products that were still interesting and worth uh, re-examining so and i feel like that's uh that's kind of my wheelhouse as far as video games so yeah i also uh, need to finish dark souls 3 at some point oh yeah yeah, yeah. i'll be on your i'll be hounding you on that one yeah you have they have until the end of 2021 to port uh Persona 5 to switch before I start telling you to just play Royal on PS4. I got uh, Royal. I, I'm just going to play it there. I, I gave up already. You say that now, but... Uh, uh, no, I like. I even bought the uh, I bought the digital version, so I don't even have to complain about digging out the disc. I'm going <laughs> to play it. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, let's see. Other than that... Uh, but yeah, the, the Kingsfield one is my specific... Uh, like that, that's that's the like ambitious gaming goal of like playing something that I don't fully understand and I don't know if I'll ever enjoy. So it's like it's ambitious to say I'll try to play all of them, but you know, <laughs> aim big. Wow, that death. Wow, did I just uh, unlock a shortcut with my dead body? <laughs> I hope so. But yeah, so that's uh. That's your Q&A quest for the uh, finisher that finishes us out on 2020. Yes. Uh, Q&A quest goals for for this year that we're definitely going to meet. Hit episode 200. Maybe do something fun. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, we'll do something. I don't know what. It'll be exciting, I'm sure. But, uh... I otherwise... <laughs> Yeah, so see ya, Space Cowboys. It's over. It's past two a.m. for poor Williams. See ya. Whatever you celebrate, this one's for you. Whatever holiday you're in.